Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. I'm Dr. Heidi with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and our second guest today is Dr. Alexander Levy, and we're talking about adult children losing parents. Dr. Alexander Levy explores with us the journey of coping with the grief and change after the death of our parents. It is never too late to grieve about being an orphaned adult. He is the author of The Orphaned Adult. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you. Hi, Alex. It's great to have you on the show. I have to tell you, I picked your book up about two years ago, uh, and... Uh, you know, I it, we have gotten so many requests from people who are adult children who've had parents die, and in uh, your book, The Orphaned Adult, I found very fascinating. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the death of your parents for our audience? They were both adults. Your dad died first, right, and then your yes. mom? Yeah, my dad died quite unexpectedly um, from complications from surgery when he was in his mid-80s, and then about five or six years later, my mother died. Mm-hmm. And and in your book, you talk about how people don't seem to recognize the impact of older parents dying, right? Yeah, it seems that uh, we've come to believe that that's just the natural way of things and that uh, when you get older and your parents are old, the next thing to expect would be that they die and what's the big deal? But, of course, it's a very big deal. Right. You know, we often talk on the radio show because we have uh, on the blogs and things about uh, how difficult it is to lose a child because, you know, it's not in the sequence and order of things and how difficult it is to lose a spouse for the same reason and uh, a sibling. And it is true. That is out of the order of things. But, you know, you lose a huge amount when your parents die, don't you? Well, you do, and I, I don't even know where this notion of the order of things comes from, and except in the last maybe 75 years. Prior to that, it was quite ordinary for people to lose children and for people to lose siblings, and death was very much part of life. Wasn't it like, at the turn of the century, something like 80% of kids died of sure. you know, infections? And yeah, and, and, and um, we have now so institutionalized and sanitized death, that, that it seems like it's an insult to life rather than a natural part of life. and We've separated it out in a way that separates us from part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Talk about uh, about mourning being a transition. That was interesting in your book when you talked about that. Well, it is. It, it, mourning is going into a time which will now be different than things were in the past. And the paradox of mourning is that we enter grief because everything has changed. And the dominant fear we have while we grieve is that now things will always be the way they are. And, and it will course, always be sad. And sure. We'll always and, and, suffer. And, and we don't have a real sense because our culture doesn't teach it that, that this is a transformational time. And particularly with the death of parents, what happens to us as we go through the process of saying goodbye to them as living people in our lives is that we start to find out who we're going to be next. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I know you've talked about what it, what does it mean in terms of our own identity right. to lose right. our parents. And, 
you know, how do we, like you said, what happens as far as holidays when our parents have been doing, you know, orchestrated everything and been in charge of everything and all of a sudden they're gone and what does our family look like? Well, that's right. And for many families, it is really the parents, despite the age of their adult children, who kind of keep everything going and um, are, are, are the kin keepers, as, as the anthropologists call them, They're the people who know everybody's story, who know how everything got to be the way it is, and, and uh, who call everyone together for holidays. And just the question of, well, now where will we celebrate Thanksgiving now that the, mm-hmm. the parents are gone is, is, is monumentally confusing. I love that. They're the anthropologists. (laughs) That's excellent. Um, You know, I think one of the things you talk about in the book, too, which I think is important, is surrendering to sorrow. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I find that one of the things when you finally give it up and and surrender to it. Well, yeah, we... we, um... We are, are encouraged to believe that we're in charge of our lives and that we should be able to be in charge of how we feel as well. And so we try to manage our way through uh, confusing times. And uh, the, the metaphor I use in the, in the book is, is uh, learning how to swim. What you really learn when you finally learn how to swim is that your body knows how to swim, that the Unless you're a bodybuilder and have no body fat, your body floats in water. Mm-hmm. And um, that the thing to do is stop trying to do things and just surrender to the water, and you you'll be fine. Likewise with grief, if uh, there's really nothing to do but surrender to it and let that part of you that knows how to grieve and knows how to move you through that uh, time take over. I like that idea of the water. And then you talked about the the grieving process as kind of being a storm, too, which oh, I thought was yes, a great analogy. Is. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It, it is just a, a time of chaos. And uh, um, it, it's not uncommon that when people come to see me, they, they, they talk about wanting to get through this so they can get back to their lives. And, and it, it seems to be helpful when I point out to them that actually this is their life and what's going on right now is what's going on in their life. It's not a departure from the true and correct path of their life, but it is as true and correct as any other time of their life. So, so even though it's a storm, we will be able to weather it, it sounds like. Yeah, storms pass. And, I think people uh, are terrified, Alex, that they won't be able to weather it and that they will not be able to survive the pain on some level. Yes, I, I know that, and I, I even know that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that fear because, you know, it's one thing to write about and think about and talk about these things, and it's quite another to go through it. And despite how much I know about it, when I go through it, I'm just as frightened, and, uh, just as disbelieving that things will return to some kind of even keel as anybody else. So, of course, we're afraid, and, and that's why uh, it's helpful to reach out and, Get some uh, some help from someone whose voice you can follow and whose uh, wisdom you can trust, whether that be a clergy or or a therapist or a friend or a member of the family that may be less uh, intimately involved with the loss. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're normalizing the feelings, and I think that's very helpful to people to say, "Well, it's normal that you're feeling this way. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Others have felt this way too. It's part of the process." I mean, I think that puts people at ease oftentimes to hear that. Well, sure. I mean, 
because p- people feel nuts when when right. when when they're uh, going through this. A- every every familiar navigational point is changed, and they are literally disoriented. Uh, Absolutely, and and uh, you had a great analogy too. I like your storm and swimming, but. That grief is like a fingerprint, so we can't tell people exactly what their stages are going to be, right? Right, and and each loss might even be a little different for each person. So it, it's a it, it is a process of discovery as well as a, a process of realignment. Yeah, can you talk about that fingerprint idea a little bit? Because I thought it was very very good. Well, it it came out of some studies that you know up until maybe 20 years ago, everything we knew about grieving came out of what's called a clinical population. In other words, people who were in in treatment for one uh, problem or another that is related to grieving. And uh, no one had really ever taken a look at what the ordinary population goes through when they grieve. And about 20 years ago, there was a study done on the ordinary population, just Questionnaires were sent out for people who were willing to be interviewed, and skilled interviewers went out and interviewed people and found out what actually was it like for you when you lost your child or your husband or your brother or your sister or your parents. And they found out that the range of ordinary grieving among ordinary people is extraordinarily wide, that for some people, literally, grief lasts 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Intense twenty minutes of of sorrow and horror and disorientation, and then a lifetime of memory and and occasional uh, wistfulness. But the the, the the storm is over. Mm-hmm. And uh, for other people who function fine, who go about the business of doing their lives without the need of any extraordinary intervention, ten years later, every day they are. Deeply immersed in sorrow and and uh, a sense of fear, and so once we got to understand that that each individual grieves his or her own way, and that there is no standardized process called grief, it really freed us up to help people start understanding their own grief as a, a process of discovery, rather than trying to trying to make it fit. I like that process of discovery. That's a wonderful thought. Well, we have a caller, and let's see if we can uh, organize this all. Hopefully our engineer is listening. Martha, is Martha there? Uh, yes, I am. Hi, Martha. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, did you have a question or a comment for well, Allison? my uh, mom was 81, and I thought she was a very young, vibrant person. I thought she was way too young to die. And then a couple of months later, after she died, my daughter had a baby, and I thought, who do I call? Who do I call to celebrate mm-hmm. that I have a grandchild? Mm-hmm. Because mother was no longer there. Mm-hmm. You know, that even was very um, difficult. I, I think even President Clinton commented on a similar uh, experience when his mother died. That often during the day he would find himself reaching for the phone, and then remember that there was not going to be anybody on the other end. Right. And she had a. Um, she was going to go on a cruise, and several months. And when it, when the cruise time came, I was actually angry at her because she was not going on the cruise. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's complicated, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for calling in, Martha. It's uh, great to have you uh, calling in on the show, and good luck on your journey uh, with your loss of your mom. Thank you. Thanks, Martha. I, I think Martha also brings up another good point, that we can feel abandoned when our parents die. Well, we are abandoned when our parents die. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that that's part of of our most primitive terror as children is that uh, something will happen and we will be left with our parents. And then mm-hmm. as adults, if we, if our parents uh, survive through our childhood, then as uh, adults we eventually realize that terror by, in fact, finding that our parents are gone. And also, Martha um, talked about the anger. I mean, uh, you know, when we're kids, we get angry at our parents because they don't take care of us, and here they are not taking care of us. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And 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 uh, um, the, the the anger is a very um, kind of comfortable defense that we have. It's kind of a shield against the 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 more profound feeling of of despair that uh, there they are not taking care of us. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, when my father-in-law died, my husband said, you know, every I've always done things in my life to make my father proud, and now there's no one to go to to make proud, you know, that's going to be proud anymore. I know, and it, one of the things that I find so interesting is that uh, I'll often wonder, you know, what my dad would think about or what my mother would think about something I'm doing or a decision I'm making or a situation I find myself in. But the dad or mother that I think about and wonder how they would feel about what's going on for me are not who they would be had they survived. I mean, if my father and mother had survived, they'd be in over 100 years old. Right. And I'm sure would be totally disinterested in any plans I had rather than, you know, what was going to be for breakfast would be pretty paramount in their interests. Uh, but uh, it's a much younger dad, a much younger mom. That internalized parent mm-hmm. that you right. have, the you're parent right. that you remember. Yeah. And that's the one who, you know, still pops in for a visit every now and then. To, and, but, uh, and they straighten you out and, <laughs> and help you sometimes, too. Yes, they do. They, and they're still not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was saying earlier on the show that we got together with some people for dinner last night and we were talking about the economic situation right now and we were talking about our parents' comments about the Depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, And it would be interesting right now to say to them, okay, we're going through this financial crisis. What did you do? Tell us more about your how you guys weathered that storm. Yeah, and I think that our, our parents, you know, in, in that, conversation we have in our minds, they, they answer in a way that would be consistent with how they dealt with things, whether you know, if they were supportive and encouraging parents, they would say, oh, you'll do fine, you don't need to know what we did, you'll figure it out for yourself, and if they were diminishing and, and uh, competitive parents, they would say, oh, you think this is hard times, you don't know anything about hard times, and yeah, I just... We would have the same conversation with them around this as we would have had all our lives about so many other things, which is trying to get them to join us in our lives in a way that I don't think can really happen. I don't think that the that generational barrier gets crossed very easily. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think one of the one of the things uh, is got to be difficult for people who lose their parents who had some problems with their parents that they thought they were going to resolve someday. Well, that's right. That someday is what part of what gets lost, and uh, that loss is very huge. Mm-hmm. The potential for uh, 
finding the parent you always hoped you'd get uh, right. is, is very big. Yeah. And I've also heard people say, wow, I didn't realize uh, what my parents were going through when I was a teenager because there was so much conflict between us until I had teenagers. Right. And now I empathize with my parents so much more and feel so much more connected because now I really get it. Well, yes. that's right, and, and likewise, we don't know what our parents went through as they uh, became very old and died, and right. eventually, perhaps, we'll come to know that as well. Well, Alex, uh, we've got a couple of emails. We've been uh, we've had people come on to the grief blog and give us comments, and we've kind of been saving them up, and one of them was from Anne from Burlingame, California, and she said, I am a never-married retired school teacher. I live with my parents for 30 years. My mom died five years ago, and I have been taking care of my dad. Dad died uh, just a few months ago, and I can't seem to find my way through it. Any thoughts? Well, yes, that, that is your way through it, is by letting yourself be lost. Um, it, it, it is a time of huge change and disorientation and nothing is the same and um, for the first year after the death of the second parent we are continuously running into reminders you know Thanksgiving is coming up and it will be the first Thanksgiving without parents and then there's uh, then then there are the the, um, holidays of Christmas and Hanukkah and and uh, all of the celebrations that come around the solstice, and then there's the New Year, and then there's Valentine's Day, and then Mother's Day, and birthdays, and every one of those events is jarring because the absence is so loud and so present. There's like a, a hole in the universe shaped like our parents that hasn't yet uh, become integrated in, in our view of life. So I would say that uh, not being able to get a grip would be the an excellent indicator that you're going through this just right. Ah, that's yeah, good. I like that idea that 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 is the way you get through it. You let yourself be lost. Yeah, you are lost. That's and right, and I love it, getting back to your analogy again. But your body does know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, this is it. It just feels like you're crazy. But you're not crazy. It feels like you're lost, but you're not lost. You are in like unfamiliar gonna... territory. And it feels like you're going to die of a broken heart. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of of um, body imagery that comes out of the uh, grief vocabulary, whether it be a broken heart or a part of me is missing. There's a lot a lot of body imagery that that because our body is our primary source of imagery. Uh, that, yeah, it, it does feel quite lethal. And, and I guess in a way, it, it, it really is a death because it's the death of the person who had living parents and the birth of the person whose parents have died. Right. You know, I, 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 in one level, both of my parents have died, and there were occasional moments when I thought, you know what, I don't have to answer to my mother anymore. Well, yes, that, that, that's the, one of the com- complex aspects of this is that there are times where you feel very free and very, 
very uh, liberated, and my goodness, you just feel awful for feeling so good about it. <laughs> there it is. You I know? remember I mean, that. Uh, well, we've got another email. When... This is interesting. It's from a male, Ron. Oh, by the way, Ann, thank you very much, and, and please continue to blog on with us. Ron from Bar Harbor, Maine, and he says, both of my parents have uh, died recently, one at 91 and one at 93, uh, only two months apart, strangely enough. I'm... Um, executor of the estate and my two sisters and stepbrother are fighting over the household items. I want to grieve but I'm feeling really angry. I'm drinking a bit more and not sleeping. My wife suggested that I go on to your blog. Well, good for your wife, Ron. That's uh it's good to get some a little bit of a road map here because uh drinking isn't going to help and it is extremely upsetting to see how uh, times of loss bring out both the best and the worst in, in us. And uh, siblings fighting over um, the, the uh, inheritance and over position within the remaining family is one of the uh, uh, manifestations of the worst of us that we see, and it's really hard to tolerate. I would certainly encourage that you uh, engage a lawyer to handle the the uh, technical side of this, and that you let yourself just be one of the uh, one of the grieving survivors of this uh, catastrophic loss of two parents in a very short period of time. I think that's a great idea, having them bring a lawyer, and because sometimes people try to families try to save money, and it's just way too much stress. The person doesn't get mm-hmm. to grieve. Right, and 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 you have to try to figure out how to do stuff that you've never done before. Even if you are a lawyer, you've never dealt with the estate of your own parents. Right, and um, at, at a time, you know, where where there, it's really hard to focus, it's really hard to concentrate. And uh, someone who's experienced at this, let let them figure it all out. And and most of what needs to be figured out can be postponed. There's really no urgency to get anything handled. And uh, just go ahead and, and, you know, close up the house, put everything in storage, sit down and cry. Uh, I love it. Well, thank you. On that note, uh, Alexander Levy, thank you so much for being on our show. Your book, The Orphaned Adult, how would people get it? Well, it's on Amazon. It's in most bookstores. It was published by Perseus um, about nine years ago, and it's still in print, and it's both in paper and hardcover, so it's really not hard to find. And It's, if you're, it's a really it's, helpful book, so thank you so much for being on the show. Well, and thanks for having me. It's a very interesting book, and you're forth, certainly forthcoming about your own life and your own experience, which always makes for a very good read. Thanks, thanks Alexander. Mm-hmm. Time, thank you. Thank you. It's time to close our show now. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.